will never sit and listen to our fable. We welcome all who sits at our table. Let's enjoy our caffeinated delight, for we are all monsters on the darkest of nights. Hello and welcome to Caffeinated Monsters, your bi-weekly comedy horror podcast. I'm your host, Faith, and today we have Keith with us once again. Hello, Faith. Thank you for having me back again. It's always lovely having a chat with you, especially about horror films. As always, looking forward to tonight's discussion. Should be a good one. Mm-hmm. Yes, as it's uh, this week, and terribly so about this one being a bit, uh, this episode being a few days late, both of us have had some things going on in our personal lives. <laughs> And um, yes, this episode is about Candyman, the new one, and of course, the original three that came out. Yeah, two of my, um, well, I loved the latest Candyman, I thought it was really good. Um, not though as good as the original, I'm a huge fan of the original Candyman, 1992, fabulous film. Yeah, I do, lo- I love the um, the original one where it was like, be my victim, whereas in this, uh, the newest one, it's um, it's leaning more towards the same being, say my name. Yes, I think that's you know, when we discuss the second film, there is a sort of it's it's more yeah it it, it develops the story um and exactly in the second film you notice early on when they're talking about it's you know the events of the first film happening so the, this you know the new film is set when the um in the world of Candyman it's almost like a sequel many years later and it does talk about the original events but almost tries to get you to think of them as they, they were told by you know um untrustworthy narrators um you know that story might not be 100 percent correct which, which is sort of why um there's a way for them to sort of tell a story of Candyman the way they do in the second film the way it moves on which we'll go into obviously as we go through the storylines yeah, I do like. I like that um, the direction that the newest one went into, like the fact that it was a continuation from the uh, the original, like the first film. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Um, obviously, Candyman itself is just yeah. We'll talk about it in a second, but it's a fantastic film, uh, a lot of fun. You know, it's you know an all time top horror film for me. Um, it sequels weren't so great. I didn't mind so much and it's not a great film but I'd at least try to be interesting with the law um the second film goodbye to the flesh i think it was called and then i think it was candyman oh god i didn't even see it actually because the sound is so bad um candyman free day of the dead i think it was called it was just yeah the directed <laughs> yeah the uh, yeah. directed dvd one even tony todd the um the actual the ultra candy man has said has a bit of um has admitted that he's not a massive fat th- fan of the third one yeah, I'm just not bothered to watch it. I don't want, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to ruin the, the sort of first two. Even though the second one, you know, it's not not a perfect film in any shape or form. It's but it's not, you know, horrific as far as sequels go. At least it tries something interesting, as we said just before with the law and um, trying to explain why Candyman became the Candyman, etc. But um, yeah, I'll just skip the third one. So the first one is is amazing though. Obviously, um, it's based on. A Clara Barker story, The Forbidden, which is, you know, I, I think we've talked before when I said that um, my favourite horror film is Hellraiser. It's not, I'm not saying it's the best horror film of all time, but it's my favourite. You know, it means a lot to me when I grew up. And Clive Barker is, I read all his books growing up and I was just a big fan. So there's no surprise that I love The Candyman as much as I do. Um, directed by Bernard Rose, 
and a film which is interesting when you talk to people about the Candyman, what genre of horror would you put it into? Me, I'd say it's still a slasher, just about. Obviously, it's got slasher tropes with, you know, the, the Candyman character, um, with the hot colours on, even though he's not your generic slasher sort of monster. He's almost an anti-hero in, in the way he works as a character. Um, yeah, the fact that he actually has, like, a, a tragic backstory. He's not, oh, yeah, like, very much so, he's yeah. not going out gassing people for the sake of it or because he's yeah, just insane. Yeah. He's yeah, actually... Exactly. No, he actually has a backstory as to why he's doing it. Yeah, so yeah, he's an anti-hero, it's not, you know, but I'd still, I'd still drop it into that slasher genre. Um, you know, I've seen people talk about it being a ghost film almost, which I, I can imagine just because obviously it comes back from in a sort of spirit form. Um, but yeah, no, for me, still still within the slasher genre. Um, as a, you know, it, the first film, it's, it's just such a good film. It starts off fantastic. Um, you know, it's got that overhead opening scene where it's going across, you know, Chicago from sort of like, uh, you know, top level down in the roads as you go across with um, the amazing soundtrack, which I've actually got on vinyl. It's fabulous. One of my favourites um, by Philip Glass. Works really well. It's a soundtrack that actually helps the film um, age well. It's not got like a soundtrack that's very 90s or very 80s. It's got like that classical score, which it also works with the film Hellraiser. You know, you can imagine them if it had been given some sort of um, you know, synth treatment or what, or what have you, it wouldn't have aged as well as a film. But because of that real classic sound that Philip Glass put to it, it really does does age well. Yeah, and obviously yeah, the first film starts with the law very quickly, doesn't it? It opens up um, the girl who's babysitting with uh, maybe a boyfriend or you know a new boyfriend, and she, they start telling the legend of the Candyman there, you know, how... You know, you say his name five times in the mirror, he um comes back to to get you. Which is, you know, it shows how how big the film became and how big it is still and known because, you know, people it's a bit like people knew who Freddy Krueger was. You know, we talked about him in a previous podcast. But the Candyman's similar, everyone knows that the legend of the Candyman say the name in the mirror five times, even if you're not into horror, people know where that comes from. And it, it it's testament to how big the film is. I like the fact that the Candyman is like, such a big thing. The fact that really he's, you know, um, I watched a couple of like, uh, documentaries recently about Candyman and how it's, um, you know, that uh, particular community, like the black community, didn't really have their own Michael Myers. They didn't have Freddy Krueger, mm-hmm. but they have Candyman in their corner and he's a heavy hitter to have in your corner. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. I think... It's interesting as well when I when you know I first watched Candyman. I just loved it for the film it was. I was I would have been about sixteen, seventeen. Imagine I think it came out in ninety two. So yeah, sixteen, seventeen. Um, and I wouldn't you know just I wouldn't have been wise to that, that side of the story. And many years later, when you when you're older and you know more about life and stuff, you're like yeah, I get that point. And also, what I was found first when I watched it was you know. The, why is you know why the story of you know what happened to Candyman basically was you know a Victorian age I guess whatever time of he was a slave wasn't he um came over to the US was um or son of a slave I should say because I think his dad made all his money inventing some way of making shoes um and the son went to all the way to schools became an artist um and then he was um 
permission to do a painting of his rich white man's daughter, virginal daughter, who he fell in love with and got pregnant. And then, obviously, the story goes on that the, the, the rich white man was not too keen on that in the slave days, apparently. Um, and went, you know, got revenge, sent a penny to a bunch of folks to go and kill him. Or, you know, they, they didn't do it in any any easy way either. They saw the hand off of a rusty blade, you know, put the hook on it. Then, you know, um, stung to death by bees from a local hive. I think the, the, the legend is that they stole all the honey from the hive after smashing it off and smeared it over. Um, the guy whose, whose name was Daniel Robertal. Um, and obviously that's how he became the Candyman, that's his death. And, and that's something that's explored a lot more in the new version as well. But yeah, he's obviously, with, with that fact, you're thinking, okay, so his sort of modus operandum, as, as you could say, should be to like take revenge on the white people. But obviously in the, in the, in the film, there's you know, a lot of talk about how he killed you know, local black people. And that sort of didn't, when, you know, when I first watched it, didn't, or first understood the racial undertones of the film, didn't, under, didn't understand why that was happening, because you know, you'd think he'd be able to get, you know, what would then be the the um, enemy of him. But, yeah, it, it obviously has that, you know, racial undertone. He, he, was, a, he was a slave, he was treated by, badly by racists, and that's really taken on into the, the new film, with, where it obviously um, develops more of the Candyman isn't just... A Candyman is in the first film, Daniel Robertel. It's more like uh, uh, Candyman's like a hive of different people, isn't it? That have been treated badly by, you know, whether it be the police um, or be other, you know, racial attacks. That's what the Candyman becomes in this actual, you know, hive of Candyman rather than just that one Candyman character in the first film. I love the fact that really at the end of it, they... Um... Uh, in the storytelling style that they use, the uh, shadow puppets, they show oh, like, yeah, what, what led up to like each Candyman's demise and yeah. kind of like, oh yeah, what caused this, what uh, led up to it and what the, how they died as a result. Yeah, shadow puppets are kind of like a good way to sort of like show the horror of the situation. Still having it be emotionally distressing, but at the same time, it's not in your face with the horror aspect yeah, of it, of the, of the actual you know racial attacks, so so you don't have to you don't have to show that again, um, or graphically, I guess. Um, yes, no, the, the shadow puppet stuff, the cin- cinematography in both films are actually fantastic. There's um, some really great Loved scenes. In the, yeah, there's some really great scenes in the first one for that as well. I mean, when you meet the Candyman in the first film, you don't you know it takes a while to come and turn up, and then. Like when she meets somebody, you know, that distance from the car park, in the car park from it, it's just such a great shot where she's looking across the car park and she sees him for the first time. And Tony Todd is absolutely outstanding in this film. Um, from It's just not his presence as a Candyman, but his voice in that opening monologue is just, just mesmerisingly good. It's frightening, it's scary. It's it's just perfect, perfect casting for the, for the character of the Candyman. He just has this look, doesn't he, where it's kind of like, you can't tell if he's suddenly going to be menacing or if he's suddenly always going to use you as like a, like a plaything. Yeah, it, it, as I heard someone, um, I was listening to another podcast on Candyman a while back and someone sort of put his charm and like the, the character's almost charm. It's not much charm really, let's be honest, but uh, his charisma to almost like a Dracula-type character, you know, he's... Oh, most definitely. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you know, really 
yeah, the, I guess charm is the way that he, you know, he, he looks and he's not, you know, coming in just slashing things about. He's got a presence about him and, and he's quite, you know, magnetic. You see, obviously, that's very much the case with um, Virginia Madsen's character, Helen, in, in the first film. You see it all doughy eyed and misty looking at him when he's talking to her and stuff. She's like caught up in the, the magnetism of the character. Yeah, like almost hypnotised by him in the fact yeah, that really, exactly. oh, this is the Candyman, he is actually real. Yes, exactly. So you can see why that, that sort of link to Dracula was made and it, yeah, it makes perfect sense and it's an interesting way to look at it. Another great thing yeah. about that film. Oh, sorry, go on. I was just thinking about like one particular scene as well. I think it was either the first or the second one where he's kind of like floating through the subway tunnel towards the main character. Yeah, and it was, oh, that scene, it's just very, um, it shows just like the level of power that he has. And yeah. like, it's just, but at the same time, it's kind of like, he's very charismatic and charming. But at the same time, like, oh dear God, he's literally floating towards yeah. me with a hook for a hand. Yeah. There's that, there's that scene also in the first film where um, when Virginia Madsen's character, Helen again, she's called Helen, when Helen's taken to sort of the, the, the insane asylum, she's, she's you know strapped to the bed and she's screaming he's in here with me he's under the bed and then he floats from the ceiling down towards her and that is just such another another fantastic shot and then he floats past her as he comes running in and under the bed and it's just such a great shot yeah two two great floating candy men scenes and it's just something um it, even though the mouse to make him look so weightless i mean tony todd's a big guy not just yeah. in like his hey his height but he is just a, a yeah, exactly. He's just a big dude. So imagine trying to work around cinematography with such a big bloke and making him try and look weightless. And they somehow managed it. I mean, that was impressive. <laughs> Very much some, some um, really strong wires there, I guess. Need more than a, a couple of fishing hooks to keep him up, up in the air. <laughs> exactly. It's, um, it's Tony Todd. He's, he's a great actor and he's, he's just fantastic. And he's, he's you know one of the best you know, bad guys in the film or anti-heroes, if you want to call them, rather than just be a, a bad guy. But he, he's he's so charismatic, so, so such a great presence, and it's it's amazing. When you, I read an um, interview with him a while back where he talks about um, like making a film, like um, Chris again from Memory Horror was telling me about the fact that you know, the bee stings, you know, the the bees in the film are all real. There's no there's no like you know. CGI in this film for for the bees. Um, they've got in a entomologist um called Norman Gary brought the bee to the set. They had their own trailer, which is amazing. Um, and Tony Todd <laughs> talked. I read the interview today. Actually, Tony Todd talked about how um he'd go and sit with the guy and, and watch him talk to the bee, so he knew he was in good hands. Um, and he, he actually he actually this is what Chris was telling me that he sort of as part of his pay deal. Per bee sting, he had like yeah. 23 bee stings as a result, and it's like, oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, yeah, 23,000. I don't know, 23,000 pounds. That'd be tough. $23,000. You know, it mightn't be nice, but it'd be tempting. He did, he, 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 um, he um, compared it to putting on a big warm coat, I think, or a big luxurious coat. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you've got some weird tasting coats, mate. Yeah, it's an uh, interesting sensation, I would imagine. Yeah. I hope he had some good health insurance, given that it was the state and... Yeah, know, exactly, yeah. <laughs> being seen for, I bet, most of that money probably went, went towards medical bills afterwards. Yeah. I think Virginia Madsen said that when it came to, like, doing the B scenes, that 
she had to go into a zen like state at the end of each scene because it took 25 minutes it took them like a minute to get all the bees on not even that but it's like 25 minutes to get the bees off the cat off the um off the actors they i think they, they used just a, a some sort of hoover just a normal hoover but gentle hoover obviously to to take them <laughs> off them yeah i can't imagine them going up to like each actor and actress with like a dyson hoover and just yeah, like exactly going right over the face <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, some sort of like they like dustbuster or something. <laughs> just get Henry out and just get get him out of the cupboard straight onto your love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this yeah the first film. What, there's just there's so many good things in the first film. It's really well cast. It. What, I love the way the fact in the first film, you've got obviously you've got your whole story about Candyman. You've got obviously Helen, who's played by Virginia, and Casey Manning's character Bernadette who are doing a thesis on the on urban legends and that's why they get into the whole Candyman thing but obviously Helen gets way more into it and can't let it go um, and she's obviously married to her husband now you've got all these horrible things, you've got someone like Candyman and how can in a film that has a Candyman who you know the story about them killing kids and all different things within the, within the film um, and the worst person, the most horrible person, is actually Helen's husband, Trevor. Who, oh, he's a dick. <laughs> but it, what's so good about his character is he's a dick. He's a proper little wimp as well, isn't he? He's just such a like wet wipe. And obviously, yeah, like you know, he, he won't be a dick to your face. He'll do it behind oh, like, yeah. closed doors. I mean, proper little keyboard warrior. <laughs> yeah, that scene, which is absolutely incredible in the film, where um, Helen breaks out of the insane asylum. And she goes mm. and she goes back to the house and she goes walks in and there's a student from earlier on. He was obviously un unhappy to see her, he was obviously had a thing for Trevor and she's painting house and she just looks terrified when she sees Helen. Because obviously in her head, in, in this student's head who's now moved in with her old tutor, um, she thinks this woman has killed multiple people. And she's shacking up with her with her husband, which is which is <laughs> incredible. And then she she acts it really well. I've never seen you know well I've seen other people do this really well, but it's one of them really iconic moments where the acting's so well done that they look so scared. And it's, it's great where Trevor walks Trevor walks into the room like to see you know what the commotion's about. He's like I can't remember. He says like oh hello snuggle bum or something. And he's got his hand in his pocket in his in his sort of dressing gown. And the way he just jumps around out like he's ready to protect himself, he absolutely shits himself, which is great. Um, and then. And, you know, Helen, the character of Virginia, she's great the way she looks, you know, both upset and both psychotic at the same time. Such a great scene. But yeah, I mean, the only f scene that I felt that the uh, Mrs. Miss, um, the student where her acting skills wasn't weren't that great was at the very end of that film where she finds Trevor. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I was a bit like, although that's not a good scream. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, a great film. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's got um, when you watch whenever you watched it and uh, can't you know realize just how strong the religious narrative as well as social commentary in the film is. Obviously, a lot of you know in this in just researching the film, a lot of the social commentary is about how when back at this particular time they had a social you know housing crisis in America, and basically they seemed to gravitate towards here's a big surprise moving you know middle class white people into the suburban areas and push some poor whites and the black community into all these houses um associations or housing estates whatever you want to call them you know, big blocks of flats um so that's part of the social commentary and also the the, yeah, the, the release narratives there isn't it with um you know the, the candy man himself at one point he he grabs um 
Helen, Virginia's character, and he pulls her up and he's like, you know, you've, um, I can't remember the exact words he uses, but he says, you know, you, you've set my congregation, now they're too scared to say my name, so it's, he's scared that if they don't start to say his name again, he'll lose his followers and lose his, um, sort of, identity as characters disappear a bit, you know, a bit of the theme that's in, I don't know if you've, done, if you've ever read or watched, um, American Gods, and that's one of the themes where the gods are scared of losing the followers because once the followers go, they lose all their power. And it's a bit like that with Candyman. He's, he's scared, of, he's almost scared. He, he's, he's trying to get people to, and that's, you know, the story behind him, he's trying to get people to continue to, to sort of like almost worship him as a deity, I guess. Reminds me of the, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, Freddy vs. Jason, where uh, like all the families in Elm Street have essentially made a pact not to talk about Freddy for God knows how many years. Yeah, because that, So, yeah, if you like, talk about him, you're giving his power back, and that's how he spreads and kills everyone. In that aspect, it's very yeah. um, Candyman-esque. Like, if yeah. you take away the knowledge that they exist and like the legend of them, like what do they have left? There's nothing that doesn't exist anymore, you know. Very, very true. Yeah, 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 I forgot about that. Fact in the same sort of similar um line within Eddie versus Jason, and that's why he's trying to get Jason to get his followers back, isn't he? Yeah, and obviously yeah, we move into the second film, sort of at the back of you know, the story is still there, the Candyman story happened, the the whole Helen story happened. Um but then the way the obviously uh, we don't need to say this now we're halfway through the podcast or what have you but um it's this obviously spoils everywhere today um we move from <laughs> the first film um which is you know ends of the does baby's okay off the off the off the go into the distance and we come into the to the new film um and it's, it picks up in the same you know cabrini green area which is the location of the first film as well but it's obviously very gentrified now and it's a different it's the same same place setting but it's gentrified and or very posh and what have you. I loved one of the things when I was watching um, the second film, I picked up on really quite quickly, and I loved the link between Candyman, um, the Daniel Robertal, Tony Todd character, and Anthony McCoy's character, which is the you know the new the, the artist guy in in the you know the latest Candyman, Candyman twenty twenty one, or the cost of Candyman. Um, what I loved is about that is the link between the two because obviously. And Robertel was was an artist, and this new guy, you know, you introduced to this new guy who's also an artist, and you know, I didn't even click on at the time that that link until later on in the film when I was watching. I was like, oh god, of course, you know, Tony Todd's Candyman was an artist. This guy who's turning into the Candyman or trying to be turned into the Candyman is also an artist, and it's just that link between the two which was interesting. And obviously, yeah, then the film sort of develops from a story we picked up on before. We're sort of persuaded to look at the events of the original film through a different lens, like they're trying to tell us that the narrative has been skewed. It's not, you know, exactly as the, the, the film or portrays in the first film. So I guess that's sort of um, the idea behind that is just to be able to go off into this world where there is all these different Candyman characters, which, you know, obviously um, the character of Burke in this film, um, William Burke, isn't it? Um, he wants, you know, he knows who Anthony is, and which is obviously the big twist here in the film is that Anthony is actually the original baby from the Candyman one. Um, he's come back just by, you know, some he's drawn back to Cabrini Green. Obviously, um, um, Candyman had picked him out to be, you know, a future Candyman. 
um and, and here we are back and Bake knows this he knows who he is and, and knows what he has to do to make him you know become a candy man which is where the film goes isn't it it goes to um you know he, he's trying to, to at the end of that film he's trying to have him killed by the police which is what he's trying to do you know to play put in a scared phone call but obviously you know brianna and his girlfriend gets where he kills instead but she escapes the police then turn up do what american police do and still kill a black guy <laughs> then um and therefore you know con completing his transition into this new candy man so yeah it, and i love that sort of the idea of, of it not just being one candy man it's this because we knew obviously we were doing jordan peele and it coming out at the height of the black lives matter problems that we're having not just you know all over the world but mainly in america for you know the death of george floyd etc uh, you know we knew that the film was going that way this is what jordan peele is great and, and obviously um costa great at you know writing this narrative telling the story and, and done it with us and get out you know fantastic films um so we knew that where the story would go and it took a while to get to that sort of police brutality um element i found that when i was watching it in the cinema i thought that end bit happened a little fast almost like it felt almost like first time i watched it almost like it was tagged on a bit because it suddenly came that sort of end and came really quickly out of nowhere but then when i watched the second time i seen more seen it i seen it heading towards that way a lot more than i did when i've seen it in the first time so yeah, it was it was a great scene, obviously. Um, and obviously then Brianna chance when she's in the police car because the police are trying to blame her, for, you know, set her up for you to take the blame for Anthony's death. They call in the Candyman who turns up and obviously does what everyone wanted them to do and takes every police officer out in the in the, in the end sequence. I see what you mean about the ending when it came to like it being a bit like oh dear god like out of nowhere. Yeah, it's not. A, I think I, I, felt I, I like time. I like the fact that that happened. Though. I like the fact that it was that sudden brutality of. You know yeah. what he's gone. This needs to that he needs uh, Candyman needs to come back and deal with this. Oh yeah, I, 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 the fact that really uh, when he goes past the car that Brianna is in, then you see each individual Candyman start to like seep through each um, every few beats, and it's kind of like oh oh god, they're all there. Yeah, that's very very cool. But yeah, it's. And I guess, as I say, when I first seen it, that was the feeling I had. But then when I watched it a second time, it felt just a lot more, more natural. But, um, yeah, I mean, the end's great, isn't it? And obviously, Brianna gets... You, know, you think, you think does he come back to save Brianna? Or is he, because, you know, of his original love for her as when he was alive as Anthony? Or is he not killing her because she believes in him? It's legend and he wants her to keep it going, right? Because she's that witness that Bake wanted. So she needs to go and tell everyone now that the Candyman's really exists and, and, and keep that uh, legend going. I think, I think because with the theme of the film, it was more towards like, keeping the urban legend going and letting people know that because she's seen it start him actually to turn into the Candyman, like his physical and mental deterioration into yeah. this candy man and then to see him absolutely annihilating the police force it was just that she would be like the best candidate to have out there as like a yeah, an actual to, witness to tell people to keep the legend going exactly the film you know, films ultimately allegory of racist violence and obviously iteration of the candy man is a victim of that racist violence isn't he aren't they sorry um which is great that you know that's the way they went with the film to to say you know wasn't, wasn't really played on as much in the first film as it was in a second film. Yeah, and it suited the narrative really well. It was like Daniel Robertal, which is Tony Todd's character, is it's the original. Yeah, because he was the, the very 
first one. Yeah, and then and obviously then... it was what was his name, and the second one it was Shaman Fields. Right. Shaman Fields. Yes, that's it. But yeah, like pull up all the people, and then Anthony joined them. Yeah, so Shaman Fields was a couple of guys, and he was yeah, he was killed by the police in like nineteen seventy seven. That was a legend of him, but it's all these you know it's it's talked about how all these different people who were brutalized by police, I guess, have have you know created this legend and become you know the Candyman. I like the fact that it was a, a woman that actually directed this one because it was yeah, a near DaCosta yeah. this one. And she did a great job. It was lovely. Like, I, I love the um, the way the story flowed. I liked how the, you actually care about the characters in the film mm-hmm. itself and you kind of get, like, you feel bad if someone actually gets hurt and you you see that each, there's no, like, um, Sort of like a favourable person because you can see that each person, each character has like their own issues. They've got their good and their bad side as a character, and I like that. I like the fact that had that each character had that kind of like development, even if it was just minor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I agree with that. I think uh, she did a great job. Um, sometimes it was like I thought that yeah, you're right in saying some of them were just very minor developments in character. There was like that almost felt like a, you know a few more minutes of screen time for some of them might have just give that a bit more substance but you know it, it's only it's minor things it was still very well done um i thought that um yeah as you say beautifully shot the the, the um puppets looked incredible um the shadow puppets are amazing i think it, it, when i remember watching the cinema being you know i, I try not to watch trailers if i can um i like to go in blank to films you know completely blind to what's coming uh otherwise you know sometimes a trailer can give too much away and i think this is one of those trailers actually when you watched the trailer and i did see this before so it, it kind gave of, a lot away yeah it gave an awful lot away and that was a bit of a shame um even though it was gorgeous and there was tiny people in the cinema but it just felt like too much was given out in that in that um trailer but yeah you know it's great to see you know that one of the films that we've got these sort of equals um happening and this one was absolutely perfect almost you know it was great it was everything you could hope it to be you know because of when they went in the story to give it a chance to be more than just a straightforward sequel to the original film they tried to take the law and do something else with it which worked in the film um yeah so you know congratulations to Nia DaCosta she did a great job and it was a great film look forward to seeing her make more films because I'll she was working on something. I read something the other day. I can't remember what it was. Uh, she's working on a uh, MCU movie that's meant to come out coming out next it. year. It's, is it not the TV? Is it not the program that's out now? Marvels? Is that a film or is it? Because I know Helen's been watching. Sure. Helen likes. Helen loves. Um, my wife that is not the Candyman's Helen. Um, <laughs> she she loves like the Marvel stuff. She's really into superhero things, and I know she's been watching one called. Marvels, I think that might have been the near the cost one actually. I think that was what, what surprised me because it's quite a big different style to Candyman, obviously. But yeah, hopefully she will do more more stuff. She obviously wrote and directed um this film also co-wrote it with Jordan Peele and Win Rods um I can't remember, Win Rosenfeld, I think it's called, the person, the, the third writer. So, you know, but to mm. write and direct such a well received film is fantastic. I like the fact that it's um I think with um, a lot of, uh, like, if you have, like, a woman at the helm when it comes to, like, directing a film, I think women tend to have a slightly different way of sh- showing things. I mean, I've noticed with a lot of um, film, like, with the original uh, trilogy of Candyman films, the things were 
gory. They showed like things that just weren't really like you didn't need to see it. Mm-hmm. But I think it was like partially because it was a bloke doing it, but at the same time it was like a show of the times. But having a woman going, right, let's do it this way, let's show this, let's mm-hmm. have it this kind of art direction and let's build it out this way. Like it's It wasn't nowhere near as gory. But even even say that your your memory of the original cameraman, I thought it was you know, I had a memory of being really, really brutal, but actually it's not. I think it's only a fifteen as well, which is surprising. Um, original Candyman's not an eighteen; it's a fifteen. I'm sure that was what it was on the um, stream. I watched it on anyway, which was on. Which I think it was on Sky TV, so it would have been a UK rating. Yeah, because a lot of it is just like suggested violence rather than you know you, you know what's happened and you see the outcome of what happened, but you don't see the actual incident happen. Yeah, like the uh, the art gallery scene, what they say yeah, in, Candyman, yeah, exactly. in, in in the artwork in the reflective surface, and you don't yeah. see the actual uh, Candyman like walking around attacking uh, the the couple that are in there, but you see his reflection as he's doing the damage to the couple. Yeah, I, I like that. I like the fact that it was his reflection that you could see, not him physically doing it. Mm-hmm. Not agreed. I've not read anything of whether they wanted to make any further films. I'm, I'm sort of hoping they don't. I think they've done such a good job on, you know, the latest Candyman that they leave it alone now. It's 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 a good way to finish off Candyman's story for me. Um, it doesn't, you know, they explain at the end of, of Candyman 2021, you know, what what it, Candyman's all about and why there's so many different many different Candyman characters or candy men um and it to, to try and to add anything else to that, to that law or, or to you know just make another film to because it was popular might not work as well i don't think that's, that's my personal yeah, opinion I, anyway yeah i don't want it to become like one of those um cash grab movies where it's yeah. oh, oh it's done really well in the box office let's make more because we know it's a cash cow it's kind of yeah. like please don't just don't do that yeah, like saw you know, so one to how many of there was eight or nine. In the end, um, oh. <laughs> yeah, you can't blame them. They make money, and you know that's what they're there for. But you know, eventually, but you'd hope that you know a bit more quality going. You hope to land one gold one, and in all those sequels. And it's um, you're right. It's Captain, <laughs> Captain Marvel two, but near the Costas um directing, and which is called the Marvels. So yeah, okay. <laughs> so it's interesting to see what she does with that. I like the fact that the new Candyman film it doesn't um, it doesn't redcon but the the sequel or the third movie, but technically it doesn't include them either. No, so I, it, I think it just sort of. I like... kind of part of me likes it, but at the same time, I'm 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 glad that it didn't like knock out the other the other movies, but at the same time, it doesn't sort of like mention them. Yeah, I suppose because maybe it just wasn't necessary to, but. It's kind of right, like, mm, but do they still exist in this universe? That's the thing. I'm yeah. kind of like, I'm in a grey area with that. Yeah, I think yeah, there's no mention of it. Is it's like um with the latest Halloween sequels, they obviously had to discount most of them after I think um, Halloween probably two, I think it was. Um, and then they do sort of like do nods, don't they, to like in in both the um, Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills, they've got the masks from Halloween three. Put in oh, yeah. I, I, I like that little nod when I saw that. I liked it. I liked it in the first one. The second, well, that wasn't a fan of Halloween Kills. Um, it, it wasn't the best film I've ever seen. 
Um, but I thought it worked well in one film. You don't have to do it in every film. You're just pushing it a bit too much. No, I imagine it'll be in the third film. But yeah, yeah I, felt, I haven't seen Halloween, uh, the, the recent Halloween movie. I saw the, um, oh God, uh, the first one that came out like in 2018. Yeah, I liked that one. I liked I, I thought it was, you know, it was a good sort of three out of five. It did well to, to sort of, you know, go back to the idea of the originals. Um, yeah, I, I was pretty happy with 2018. Enjoyed it. Halloween Kills, no, I just I genuinely didn't like it. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022 levels, I didn't enjoy it. It's not a good film. I mean, it's again, yeah. it's got, it's got, it's again, you know, we talked about, I think we mentioned Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the minute on every podcast, but when we talked about that, yeah. that, that recent version, which is polarized people, you know, some people really like it because of the, the, the you know, the graphic F's in it, the really good deaths that happen and, you know you go back to that bus scene people always talk about that but what about the bus scene and you can't have one scene you're not going to make a whole film and i think that's what i find with people who like halloween kills because the guy um courtney's greatest michael myers is a really good sort of flashback scene early on um and then it just all goes apart and the film's just bad but michael myers is quite cool and it, it doesn't matter how cool michael myers is if the rest of the film is is, is woeful yeah we're digressing here. Yeah, we're, we're going off on a tangent. So I felt like that when I when I saw the trailer for. It, I was like, mm, I don't know how I feel about this because of the uh, the firefighter scene where he's like killing off all the, all the different firefighters in the trailer. Yeah, as soon as I saw that, I was like, Why is he built like a fucking titan or something? Yeah, like, that... lift them up with a fire axe and stuff. And it's like bloody yeah. hell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's uh, it's it's that's a, and you know that's a, one one of those really famous obvious tropes and horror it's like you've got like five five and a word all all tooled up with axes and what have you and you all take them on one by one you know what i mean why don't you all just charge them and just swing you whatever you've got at them really really madly and take them down you know rather than each one of you take them on individually and all get killed one by one it just yeah i think logic yeah you've got, you've got to suspend disbelief but you know uh, yeah that, that's one true, but I always charge him or turn him run. Just, oh, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Just, no. <laughs> I like, I wish there were more characters like Candyman for, um, in terms of, like, minorities. Like, the fact that really, like I said earlier about, like, Freddy Krueger and Michael yeah. Myers and Jason and all them that are kind of, like, they're very, you know, they're part of, like, the white population of, like, yeah, yeah. serial so, killers and, like, supernatural things. Like, there's very few people in, like, the in, in the minority group that are kind of had, like, that form of spotlight. But the fact that the, his backstory is rooted in something that is still very prominent, even today, like you said about um, uh, the police brutality when this movie came out, the uh, George Floyd, was it? George Floyd, yeah. Yes, I'm glad I got his name right. Like, it's very much like the um that like in the movie where they say say my name and it's kind of like yeah, it exactly. reminds me of what happened what yeah. happened to him and, and just, yeah and not just a a number or you know another death exactly another death. And like the uh, it's not just another face in the crowd like this is a human being and it's kind of like it's making that making Candyman more human but at the same time it's making things that are sadly still going on today very prevalent and very like. Like you need to know about this. You need to know that this is still going on. Yeah, that's why we go, it's, go back to the anti-hero thing, isn't it? With Candyman himself as a character. Yeah, and it's just it's just horrible that it's just such a like racism to lot like, from the police force and the general public. I mean, just watching things on like YouTube 
on the news, on you know, videos of like just people just being arseholes to minorities and it's just kind of like but why though? I don't I don't get it. I don't understand why it's still happening. Yeah, it's it's always happened unfortunately, hasn't it? And and it's you know, it's it's more prevalent for us now because we're getting to see it because we can record all these incidents much easier. You know, I'm sure these have happened many, many times. You know, in the past when we didn't have mobile phones or CCTV or, you know, body cams to catch them at it and they still feel empowered by the racism. You know, in America, they're all, you know, massively, not every piece of racism, obviously, but there's, you know, a huge amount of racism within this and the police force, um, as we get to see. Yeah, it, you know, there's not much more we can say, and it's a sad fact of life, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, it's like when, um, when it, when everything exploded online, I think, uh, I think a lot of people said, well, oh, is it that like, it's more prevalent now? And it's like someone, I remember one particular thing, I think it was a, um, an actor that said it. He, he said, um, "It's not. It's not more. It's not happening more often now. The only difference is it's been recorded yeah, now. We can, we can we can prove it now. We've got ways of of recording it exactly. Social media's here to spread the spread the videos as well. So it's good. It's good that really it's actually being shown and it's yeah. actually being. It's more in your face when it comes to things like this, like with the whole Black Lives Matter thing. Or, um, uh, a close relative of mine actually said, but all lives matter. Oh, so I had to try oh. and explain to them that because they didn't get it, I, I tried to explain to them that really, yes, everyone's life matters, but we're not the ones that are being shot by literally knocking on someone's front door. We're not being like, um, shot in the back by trying to get into our car. Yeah. We're not being attacked for our skin colour. You know, the worst thing that's going to happen to like, like the worst insult someone could say to me that's like vaguely racially like motivated is someone came up to me and called me the milky bar kid that's literally the only thing i can think of and it's kind of like if that's the worst thing that someone can say to me about my skin color then it's very minor mm-hmm. but the amount of things that pe- that are being said to minorities and black people in particular it's absolutely disgusting because it's just not I, because I can't fathom why people would attack each other just on that alone, and it's just kind of like there's no point. No, it, God, I grew up in the eighties. It was even more prevalent than it is now. Thank God, some people have learned and have improved on, on slightly. I mean, obviously, it's easy for you know a forty odd year old white guy to say that. So I never understand what it's like to be a minority person and how difficult it is. But yeah, you know, it, 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 but it still is hard to fathom when you're not racist, why you would be racist, you know. You just, it doesn't matter. If you say colour skin doesn't matter, just don't be an arsehole. That's all I ever ask of people. Exactly. It's just, you know, respect boundaries, respect the person's culture, and just don't, don't say things that aren't necessary. Mm. Like, ugh. God, I mean, don't be a I've... Twaff. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's essentially the best way to put it. Um, I mean, I remember in school. I uh, I, I, um, I was born in '92 when the first mm-hmm. film came, when the very first Candyman mm-hmm. came out. I mean, when I went to school, I think I had there were about three, maybe four black people, and maybe uh, a couple of other my, no, minority, but like, very small minority groups in mm-hmm. in the educational system where I grew up, and that was it. And when I sort of like got to like adulthood, I really like, more and more minorities were like in my local town i was like 
oh wow this is um you know for a moment it for like a little while it was a bit of a shock because it was kind of like oh there's there's other cultures yeah. that are out there yeah, because I, I i suffered with um small town syndrome i grew up in a small town and yeah i didn't really i lived there till i was like mid-20s so I, I didn't know much and I'm, I'm glad that i did move out away from that because i've i've gotten to experience more i've seen more cultures i've learned so much more as a result of moving out away and sort of meeting more people but because i grew up in a small in a situation where there were very little to in terms of like minorities like if most of the people that were part of those cultures were literally family members together like in different years in the same school so it was a bit of a shock for me when more and more people started moving closer and i was a bit like oh okay then yeah, hopefully it'll start to improve my like my daughters have all gone to school with you know in milton Keynes with different different races and cultures and have friends from different races and cultures so hopefully you know it's up to them to to help make the next step forward i guess i mean it's for me it's one thing to kind of grow up and learn to understand other people that aren't within your what's the best way to put it within your particular community but it's a completely different ball game if you're literally judging people and but you don't know who they are because they're in a different community to you people are always afraid afraid of things that are different from them exactly it's like um in the new Candyman film the um one of the characters says um they love what they make but not us. Yeah. yeah, very good. And I mean, for some reason, that particular line stuck with me. Oh, no, it was uh, the love what we make, not us. That's what it was. And it kind of just, it was one of those things when you realise, oh, yeah, yeah no, a lot of you know, people do take from other cultures, but they don't like the people that are a part of that cult- culture originally. Yeah, cultural appropriation. Yeah. And it's just, it's horrible. It's just, you know, at least give out acknowledgements of where this came from. And, you know, I, in the education system where I grew up, it, it, you know, I learned about like World War One, World War Two, um, Victorian era, but I don't remember us ever being taught about slave, like slavery and slave labour and, you know, minorities, but like, th- like the fact I didn't even know where tea came from, like where it originally came from until like a few years back. And I was like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. It's... So was, I'm glad that I've learned so much more about other cultures just by moving away and kind of going, you know what, I'd like to learn more. I don't, I, I want to know about these things. I don't want to be ignorant. I'd rather make people comfortable. I, you know, I, I, I just, I want people to actually understand that really. I would, I'm not, if I ask questions about the culture and things like that, I'm not being an arsehole. I'm just I, just, I want, to, <laughs> I, I want to learn. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, I genuinely want to learn. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, obviously, I think that's just one of the things that's coming through in in, in Peel stuff, isn't it? He's he's trying to teach the world through his artwork that you know this is what's happening. You know, this is what you know is happening to our culture and what we're trying to get out of. It'll be interesting to see. He's got um. You know, every time he's got a film come out, I'm excited. I haven't seen the Twilight movie yet, Twilight Zone movie yet by Jordan Peele, but he's doing a film called Nope, which I'm not sure the release date is. But uh, and I would like to look into that movie because it does look the trailer looks interesting. Again, so it is a bit like oh dear god. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've seen a bit of a trailer, but I stopped off watching it and left because I just want to go into it just completely, you know, blank to it because I want to. I want to. I don't want any spoilers, especially after we said of, about how the Candyman trailer did give away a little bit too much away. 
I would have felt it did when you'd seen the film anyway. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm excited by everything Jordan Peele's doing at the minute, so hopefully Nope will be good. I'll definitely be going straight to the cinema to see that one. I've seen everything he's done on the cinema so far. If they did like a, a, a Jordan Peele like DVD collection box set of like, um, what I'm trying to think of where I'm trying to go with this. Um, you know, like with, um, if I had like Us, Nope, um, and Get Out. Get Out, yeah. Like if I had those three films in like a collector's box set, that'd be brilliant because it's kind of like, it's three horror movies that isn't white focused. Like it's mm-hmm. very much like, this is a horror we have to deal with. Yeah, no, no, he's, he's bringing almost a new genre into, into, the, into the world of horror, isn't he, for us to, to enjoy, you know, lit, lit, get the message across. Like, it's always been the case with horror, has always been a good genre for, for telling a social message. You know, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, They Live, you know, all these films had social commentary in them. And that's what Jordan Peele's doing with his artwork now, and hopefully, hopefully, long may you continue, because it's been great so far. Mm. I would like to see more films, not just by Jordan Peele, but other people. Like I would like to see Nia DaCosta do like one or two more horror films. Oh, yeah, so I like her visual style of things. So I'd like to see where where she can go with it. I mean, as much as I do like, um, part of me do kind of do like the um, MCU Marvel films as well. I mean, I grew up watching like the original X Men movies, mm-hmm. but. I feel that they're kind of getting a bit much now. <laughs> like there's so many of them, yeah. and I'm like, I do not understand this timeline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's um, it's one of them. I say that all the time. I'm all marbled out when the wife wants me to watch one, and it, you know, it, it is very, very rich coming from someone who only ever sticks horror films on. Really, so I think it, yeah, it's most of the Marvel films I've watched have all been very good quality. Um, a couple of bad ones in here and there, but I am I'm just bored of them now. To be honest, it was fun for a while to see all these new big amazing action films but I'm, I'm going to retreat into my little dark corner again and just watch horror films I feel the same way yeah. I'm kind of like oh look another Marvel yeah. film and I'm like oh god just oh, I don't care anymore after like all the Chris Pratt news and like all the information coming out about him and some of the just some of the thing like storylines as well and it's just kind of oh for god's sake like I like the fact that um people made like the um most recent amazing spider-man movie like spider-man mm-hmm. film sorry I like where they went with that but I cannot get behind any more marvel films I think I probably want to watch um <laughs> the new doctor strange and uh, madness of the multiverse because it was directed by Sam Raimi obviously as Bruce Campbell in so I know there's there's meant to be some horror notes in that so i probably will watch that one it's on disney plus now and i've got disney plus because i've got too many kids um so <laughs> so yeah i mean god i mean i got signed up to another well another streaming thing today i actually signed up for sky movies because i've got a rolling contract now with the sky which is good with the new sky glass thing um but that gave us paramount plus so there's now paramount plus sky there's netflix there's shudder there's disney plus um god, what else have we got there's there's so many these streaming sites now you end up oh, yeah. like uh there's massive bills. Tubi, Tubi or Tubi as well and like yeah. BBC iPlayer yeah, and that just... at some point it's literally gonna start turning into like Wheel of Fortune just to figure out what 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 platform you want to watch it on. Yeah and it's gonna be switching films between different platforms. Yeah Apple and there's all the Apple Apple TV as well so you got all them to I've got a I've got a subscription to that just simply because it came with my iPad for a year. So I don't know what's how long I've got left on that. Probably a month or something. 
I don't think I've watched anything on that, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, yeah, YouTube as well. You, you can like, rent films on bloody YouTube yeah, these days. Every, oh, my God. It's a, it's a massive cash cow, right? Um, being able to, to, like, stream things into people's homes. I mean, it's like, you can see, I mean, obviously, what I'm about to describe now, you know, not the death of cinema, but, like, I went to see The Innocents. I talked to you about that earlier. It's a film, I, I, again, I, I've can't stop talking about how highly I rate this film. It's wonderful. Um, but I went to see it on a Friday afternoon um, at MK Gallery, and it was like just me in the audience. <laughs> they had to send someone who worked there to sit with me and watch it for fire safety reasons. So yeah, <laughs> oh dear. you know, cause people people will just sit and watch a film at home with it there to watch, isn't it? it, it you know, they don't have to get the arse off the sofa. Lots of people do that. And then, you know, obviously as well, that, that covers things like, you know, having kids. Me and the wife can't go to cinema often on our own together because we have, one of us has to be at home with the children. So there's a massive market for all that stuff here. So there'll always be people trying to make money off it. So you, you, we've got, um, I guess, this will be coming out after the weekend, by the time you've had time to edit and... Um... <coughs> yeah, I mean, I'm going to try and edit this start tomorrow evening and probably try okay. and get out either tomorrow and the night after. Okay. I was going to say, I could um, say what the film for that day is going to be. I mean, I don't think it matters too much if I put up that it's yours, considering that the, the Crawford Arms have actually put up the actual poster now on their site, so... Gone to, gone to the days of keeping it quiet as possible. Uh, so where can people find you, Keith? So, as always, um, we are on social media for both, for all three, Facebook, Twitter, and um, Instagram as MK Horror, um, at MK Horror. We, I think we may be at MK Horror Club, sorry, on Instagram. And we have our own website, which is still a work in progress, which is www.mkhorror.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter, and then all our future screenings will be sent out monthly, um, via the newsletter that we send out, so you'll know when we're screening and what we're screening. So, um, yeah, and obviously, if this comes out for Saturday, the 2nd of July, we will be screening a film at 2 pm at the Crawford Arms um, on that date. And yes, we obviously, as we discussed before, we can't give away the name of the film, but it is a film that's set on that weekend. So, if you can work out from that, um, That'd be great, and hopefully you come along and watch one of it is an absolutely all-time classic film, not just one of the greatest horror films ever made, but one of the greatest films of all time. So we're looking forward to that on Saturday. You think you need a, a bigger boat? <laughs> I mean, well, okay, maybe you don't have to work out what date it's set then. But yes, we're gonna need we're gonna need a bigger pub. <laughs> we're gonna need a bigger pub, hopefully. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really looking forward okay, to that because um, yeah, it should be a really good, that's good, really good screening. And uh, you can find us, our caffeinated monsters, on. Right, let's go through the list. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, uh, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Spotify, and Anchor. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and now uh, you can find us on the Slasher app and on Letterboxd as well. So if you ever have any films anyone would like to recommend, I'd like to hear from you. We're on coffee as well if you'd like to throw some coffee at us for a little bit of money and also you can help us on patreon i'm thinking about putting a new tier up there as well to do watch parties because it would be nice to watch horror films with people because i know not everyone likes to watch them by themselves 